the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. W2BN, Pinellas Park. So, folks, the point of Matthew's rather reserved way of stating that Mary was pregnant by the work of the Holy Spirit is simply to tell us that this was a miracle of God. And you don't need to understand how it all worked. Nobody does, but God alone. God chose to change the course of the laws of nature that he established. It is a supernatural miracle, and that's the point. Miracles. Do you know what a miracle is? A miracle is a supernatural act that can't be explained by normal human reasons or circumstances. There are a lot of miracles in the Gospels that Jesus performs. One of the first miracles in the New Testament was not done by Jesus. It was how Jesus was conceived and born. We call it the virgin birth. There's nothing strange or tawdry about it. It's a beautiful fact that is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew to show us how Jesus could be both God and man. Jesus had an earthly mother, but a heavenly father. I don't know if you can imagine what it was like for Joseph and Mary. It's hard enough for couples that are preparing to get married, all the planning and getting to know one another. I wonder what was going through Joseph's mind when he found out that his soon-to-be wife was pregnant. He knew it wasn't his child. The Bible gives us this beautiful story about the special way in which God prepares this couple to receive his son into this world. God speaks so tenderly to Mary and then encourages Joseph to accept what has happened as being part of the plan of God. This is not just a miracle that happens without people. It's a miracle that happens right in the middle of the lives of ordinary people. That's what makes this such a special story in Matthew chapter 1. You're listening to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is sharing the truth of the virgin birth in today's message. This is part two of three messages. Remember that God is sovereign and can do the impossible whenever and wherever he wants to. Here's Pastor Steve. Now, based on our studies of Matthew's gospel, which I don't know if you realize it, it's been going on now for five and a half years. You and I have both grown old studying this gospel, and I couldn't think of a better way to grow old or or doing anything better than that. But we've seen in our studies from Matthew that Matthew's overall purpose and, and theme and objective in his gospel account is to present primarily to the Jewish people, the Jewish Jewish readers, that Jesus is really Israel's legitimate Messiah and King. This is an evangelistic book, as well as a book that strengthens our faith. That's why he opens, if, if you look at Matthew chapter 1, he opens the book with the genealogy of Christ. Notice the very first words of the Gospel of Matthew, the very first words of the New Testament. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Right from the onset of the gospel, Matthew establishes the genealogy, the family tree of our Lord to show that 
He is in the line. He is the legitimate heir to the promise God made to not only Abraham, that one of your seed will be the one who all the families of the earth will be blessed in, but also to David, a promise was made that one of your descendants will sit upon your throne and his kingdom will never end. He will be a king like you, but far greater. He'll have an eternal kingdom. So Matthew's point is to say Christ has the royal credentials to be king. And as you go through this, and we won't take the time, but as you go through the genealogy, you see that this man begat this man who begat this man who was the father of this man who was the father of this one who was the father of this one. But then a curious thing occurs. You come to verse 16, and it's different. It says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. By wording it this way, that Joseph was the husband of Mary rather than the father of Jesus, Matthew, at this point, is implying that Jesus was born of a virgin and therefore is deity. But as he continues to write, in our passage this morning is what he has continued to write from verses 18 through 25, he more than implies it, he explicitly states it as a fact by presenting the story of the supernatural conception and then birth of the Messiah. This, folks, is Matthew's Christmas story. He does it, though, in a way that not only does he convey it as truth, but he defends it against its critics. And how does he do this? How does he accomplish these two goals? He gives us four reasons for believing in the virgin birth of the Messiah. These are substantial reasons. This is why you and I can have conviction about this. This is why we not only can know it is truth, but we can have it in our souls and, and we can be ready when someone asks us, why do you believe in Christianity? Why do you believe in the virgin birth of Christ. If you met a man like Thomas Jefferson who said it's just a fable, it's just a, a tall tale, you ought to be able to give him, as Peter says, a reason for the hope that lies within you. Matthew supplies us with these reasons. He gives us four of them. So let's get into our text. Why should we believe in the virgin birth of Christ? The first reason that Matthew gives us for believing in the virgin birth of Christ is this. It's because of the miracle of Mary's pregnancy. It was a miracle, a supernatural miracle. We read in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit, having already listed Christ's earthly family background. In the genealogy, Matthew now tells us how the Messiah came into the world. In other words, what was the manner of his birth? How was he born? And he begins by immediately telling us that his conception was miraculous and supernatural, unlike any other conception in the history of mankind. Because Mary, his mother, was pregnant with him, even though she and her husband Joseph had never had sexual relations. In other words, she was still a virgin, and yet she had a child growing in her womb. Now, who were these people? Who was Mary? Who was Joseph? Well, the Bible really gives us very little information about them. We know that Mary was a young Jewish girl. 
Her name would not have been called Mary. That's the English form of it. She would have been Miriam. The young Jewish girl, descendant of King David, who very likely grew up in the city of Nazareth in the Galilee. According to John chapter 19, verse 25, she had a sister also named Mary. You might think that's strange. You might think that only George Foreman would name all of his sons George, but apparently that was not that uncommon in those days. This is Mary. This is Mary. This is Mary. We also know that she had a relative, probably a cousin, by the name of Elizabeth, who became the mother of John the Baptist. Luke tells us that in chapter 1 of his gospel account. And also from Luke's account, We know that after the angel announced to Mary that she was chosen to be the mother of the Messiah, we're given a very positive picture of Mary's spirituality as a young, godly woman who believed in God's word and was in submission to it. Because she says, after the angel speaks to her, she says, may it be done to me according to your word. There is a submissive heart. This is what you said. I accept that I am the mother of will be the mother of Messiah. We also see in Luke's gospel, Mary's Magnificat, which is her her exaltation, her magnifying of the Lord, as she breaks forth into praise, we, we see more of her spirituality. We see her humility there, her reverence for God, her worship of the Lord. She exalts Him. So that's a little bit about Mary. That's pretty much all we know about Mary. We know even less about Joseph than we do about Mary. We know that he was a carpenter. In terms of character, we're told that that he was a righteous man. Verse 19 tells us that, meaning that he was a true believer. He was a genuine believer who wanted to honor God with obedience to Scripture. We would also assume that Joseph died before Jesus began his ministry at age 30 because there is no mention of Joseph during these years. Also, while on the cross, remember, Jesus asked the Apostle John to look after Mary as if she were his own mother, indicating that Joseph just wasn't around to take care of his wife. So he probably died. So though we know really very little about Mary and Joseph, what we do know about them, we can conclude that they were both sincere believers with hearts that were devoted to God. I might also add that that most likely they were very young because in those days, Jewish girls were often married as young as age 12 or 13. She could have been that age. She could have been a little bit older. Boys were usually a little older, and it's possible that Joseph was much older. We, We don't know. But regardless of their youthful age, regardless of their inexperience, God sovereignly chose this couple to bring Messiah into the world and to be raised by them. And the way that Matthew explains this is by informing us that prior to living together and engaging in sexual intimacy, Mary and Joseph were betrothed to each other. Now, what does that mean? We don't, we don't have a betrothal uh, custom in our day. So we have to go back and see what that really meant in ancient literature Betrothal should not be confused with our modern custom, modern day custom of engagement. It was not an engagement. Betrothal in ancient Israel was more than an engagement. It was considered a legally binding 
marriage that required divorce if it was to be broken. And there were actually two stages of the betrothal custom. First, the parents of the bride and groom agreed on this marriage. In other words, it was an arrangement. It was an arranged marriage. And then a contract was drawn up involving a price that was to be paid to the bride's father as a dowry or a bride price. Why did they do this? Well, this was done to help offset the expense of the wedding, which actually is not a bad thought if you have daughters. I thought it was a few years ago and two daughters married in one year. And uh, I thought at that time that wouldn't be a bad custom reinstated. But uh, I don't think anyone's doing that. Now, this price was was paid. When this price was paid, the contract then was sealed and the couple was considered legally married. They're married to each other. In fact, they were called husband and wife. Joseph, in verse 19, is called Mary's husband, not her fiancé, her husband. But they didn't live together. Not at this point as husband and wife. Now, as an officially betrothed, in other words, as a spoused couple, they then entered into the second stage of this arrangement, which involved living separately with their respective parents for about a year. And the purpose of this separation was that it served as a time of testing for the moral purity of the bride. Apparently, there was no test for the groom. And you may say that's not fair. I would agree with you, but I didn't create the rules. I'm just telling you what it was. And uh, if during this time she was found during the betrothal time period to be pregnant, then the marriage could be broken by Divorce. However, if after a year she proved to be morally faithful, then the husband would go to the house of his bride's parents and in a grand processional, he would lead his bride back to his own home, consummate their marriage and begin to live then as husband and wife. That's betrothal. That's how it worked. Now, Matthew tells us that sometime during the second stage of the betrothal period, this one-year waiting period, that Joseph became aware of Mary's pregnancy. But what Joseph didn't understand was that Mary had not been with another man. Matthew very simply states at the end of verse 18, if you'll notice, that she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. This is really an understatement. But it is a tremendously important statement because without going into any details, Matthew doesn't tell us anything more than this. He reveals that Christ's conception was the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. No man had been involved. In other words, Mary kept her virginity and yet she became pregnant by the miraculous work of God, the Holy Spirit. Now, as I said, Matthew just mentions this as a fact. He gives no explanation. But Luke, in his gospel account, does expand on it a little bit more. I'd like you to see this. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse, starting at verse 26. And only Matthew and, and Luke give us, as gospel writers, the accounts of the Christmas story. Mark doesn't, nor does John. But in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, we read, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth 
to a virgin. Now, my translation says engage, but it is betrothal. It's not engagement like you and I think of engagement. They were betrothed, legally married to a virgin. Betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greeting, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement, kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And the kingdom, his kingdom, will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? That's a great question. How can this be? I'm a virgin. And listen to the answer. This is what Matthew doesn't tell us. And Luke expands. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for this reason, the holy child shall be called the son of God. Now, notice. Notice what Luke says. He says you'll be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, the conception of Jesus is a mystery. None of us understands it. God doesn't explain it in detail. Nobody needs to understand. We need to believe it. But it is a great mystery that we are not fully capable of. Of comprehending. However, in using the word overshadow, as in the most high will overshadow you, Luke is conveying that in some unique way, God's presence came upon Mary so that she became impregnated with the Son of God. See, this Greek word that is translated as overshadowed is the very same word, very same word used to describe God's presence. At Christ's transfiguration. Remember the transfiguration of Christ? He went into a high mountain, we're told, in Israel, brought some of his disciples with him. And before their very eyes, he was transfigured so that they saw his glory. They saw that he was more than a man. But while they were in that high mountain, we read that a bright cloud overshadowed them. It's the same word, speaking of God's presence descended upon Christ and the disciples. That word is overshadowed. And that's what happened to Mary. God's presence descended upon her, but not in a sexual way. What is described here is not some sexual mating with divinity, as is characteristic of all pagan religions with crude and lustful virgin myths. What is presented here is that God's presence miraculously brought about the physical conception of Jesus so that Mary was pregnant while still being a virgin. So, folks, the, the point, the point of Matthew's rather reserved way of stating that Mary was pregnant by the work of the Holy Spirit is simply to tell us that this was a miracle of God. And you don't need to understand how it all worked. Nobody does, but God alone. God chose to change the course of the laws of nature that he established. It, it is a supernatural miracle. And that's the point. You see, those who reject the virgin conception and then the birth of Christ. Ultimately are rejecting who God is. 
Ultimately, that's their problem. They reject the fact that God is sovereign and he can do anything he chooses to do. Thomas Jefferson's problem really wasn't rooted in in, in an issue with the virgin birth. His problem was far deeper than that. And so is everybody who who rejects the virgin birth. Their problem is that they reject that God is God. That he's the God who can do whatever he chooses to do. In fact, the angel even said to Mary, with God, all things are possible. That is to say, nothing is impossible. Nothing. And in the case of Mary, God sovereignly chose to impregnate her by overshadowing her and impregnating her without a seed from a male. Mary is the only woman in all of history who had a seed within her that did not come from a man. And why? What's the reason for this? The reason it had to be this way is so that Jesus would be fully human, being born of a woman. He was no different in his humanity than you and I, except without sin. He was a real man, not a part man, a real man. And yet, and and yet, he is full deity. Fully human, yet without a sin nature passed on from a human father, and yet full deity. And not just full deity, but infinite, eternal deity. And as such, he could then... Through his death, being totally human, make an eternal, infinite sacrifice for the sins of his people. That's why this is so critical. Do you know what? Joseph, Mary's betrothed husband, at this point knows nothing about this. Nothing about this supernatural work of God, this overshadowing by the the Most High that impregnated Mary. Apparently, Mary never told him. But don't blame Mary. Don't blame Mary. Because if you put the gospel accounts together, we realize that she's been gone for three months. She's been away. She's been with with her relative Elizabeth for three months. Elizabeth, who was pregnant at the time with John the Baptist. But now Mary apparently has returned to Nazareth. And it has become known to others, including Joseph, that she's pregnant. Now imagine the heartache of poor Joseph. He knows that he didn't make her pregnant. And he reacts the way any one of us would have reacted. By thinking the worst. He assumes that she's, she's guilty of adultery. She's guilty of being unfaithful to him. And so he decides he's going to end this relationship and divorce her. And that leads to a second reason that Matthew gives us for believing in the virgin birth of Christ. The first is the miracle of Mary's pregnancy. It is a supernatural, miraculous work of God, unlike anything else that's ever happened in human history. But there is a second reason. Why do we believe in the virgin birth of Christ? Not only because of the miracle of Mary being pregnant without a man, but the message of the angel, the message that the angel gave to Joseph. Verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. When Joseph found out about Mary being pregnant, he had a a, a tough decision to make. Since he was a righteous man, he believed that to continue with this marriage would be to condone and approve of Mary's assumed adultery. He knew that God condemned the breaking of the marriage vow. And therefore, he could not, in clear conscience, continue with this marriage. 
So he decide, decides at this point he's going to divorce her. Thanks for joining us for Verse by Verse today. Do you get a sense of just how powerful and yet how caring our God really is? Isn't it incredible how God sent his son to be born into a real family who had to struggle with real questions and issues just like we would if we were in their shoes? And yet, the most amazing miracle happens in the middle of all the questions. They have to decide whether they will believe God or believe the circumstances. God's power and his love come shining through and they believe in spite of the circumstances. This radio program features the teaching ministry of Steve Kreloff, pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We'd love to have you visit us sometime if you are in the Clearwater area. You can find directions and service times and lots of other resources by visiting our website, lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported radio ministry, so we depend upon our listeners to help us cover the costs involved in producing and airing these radio Bible classes. We're very grateful to each of you who give to support this ministry. If you would like to partner with us through prayer or a financial gift, please give us a call at 727-239-0306. You can also give a financial gift online at versebyverseradio.org. For Pastor Steve and the rest of the staff here, I'm Jerry Pruden, inviting you to join us next time on Verse by Verse. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.